Hello and thanks for joining us for this episode of Education in Focus South Asia, a series of podcasts focusing on areas of debate in education in the South Asia region, brought to you by the British Council. My name's Rob Lewis, and later on you'll be hearing my co-presenter, Simon Borg. Network is a term we often associate with digital technology, specifically being connected online. But these connections, of course, can happen in other ways too. However the connections are made, in the case of teachers, a network can provide exactly the kind of support they need. In this episode, we'll be exploring this theme of teacher networks. The first of our interviews in this episode is with Sandeep Mishra. At the time I spoke to Sandeep, he was Country Director for Stir Education in India, a role in which he had plenty of experience in establishing teacher networks to support and motivate teachers. I spoke to him and asked if he could first of all give more background on how the teacher meetings he helped set up, which he calls cluster meetings, actually worked. So a cluster is the smallest unit, uh, um, an academic support unit in, in India. So basically, typically 10 to 15 schools, they, they form a cluster. And uh, there have been provision for the cluster meetings. So teachers used to come to the clusters, but those meetings were not really structured in a way which could provide support to teachers in, on academic sense. So it was more sort of administrative in nature. So our approach was more to use that forum to help teachers to get certain sort of space where they can have some academic conversation and not only discuss about administrative, but also bring some of the components uh, which are challenging in their classroom to, I mean, which are not really helping them to teach their children and help them teach well. Initially, as I said, that it was challenging, but gradually, when teachers started believing in it, they started finding it useful because teachers in India, mostly in the rural part of the country, they work in isolation. Mostly they don't get chance to meet their peer on day-to-day basis. When they got a chance to meet their peer and when they got interest in understanding what the challenges they are facing, not only understanding the challenges, but also getting support from their peers to identify solution at the same time and going and using that solution. I also asked Sandeep if he could share a concrete example of how successful these meetings had been. Uh, so many such, such examples I can definitely share. I mean, the first state where we went for system-wide approach was Uttar Pradesh, which is the biggest state in the country. So we started with 1,000 teachers and those networks at the beginning. And now those networks are so established that the teachers themselves are finding it so useful that they started coming on their weekends because they started finding it valuable. So I think one of the success, I would say that the teachers who have been struggling in their isolations and not being able to solve very small, tiny things in their classroom because they didn't have those kind of support. So a lot of such solutions they have got, for instance, how to increase the attendance or maybe how to engage students in the classroom or maybe how to build a good classroom environment, how to develop good routine in the classroom. All those principles they learn during the process and a lot of teachers, they're finding it really useful. The network meetings attendance at this point in time across all the geographies are more than 80%. I went on to ask Sandeep what he felt was the motivational factor behind this. Uh, because it was not on, based on prescription. So we never said that you were supposed to do ABC. We always suggested certain things saying that there are three, four, five options. Now, either you want to choose from these options, else you can just you know, innovate your own. So it was more of how we keep teachers more autonomy so that they can decide what is good, what is best for their classroom. So by overcoming potential motivation problems by not prescribing, Sandeep's success story from Uttar Pradesh shows that networks can work. But there are other aspects too, of course. 
Simon Borg spoke to John Parnham, currently Head of English for Education Systems at the British Council in Egypt, to explore some of those. John has experience of working on several teacher network projects in India with the British Council and has some clear ideas on how these networks can help with the sense of isolation some teachers feel, as well as other areas. Some of the, some of the benefits that I've seen from teachers who are part of, uh, part of networks are around creating a sense of shared purpose. And once teachers feel that they're part of a community, it can increase their motivation. It gets them into a rhythm of of CPD. So once they see their colleagues and their, their peers trying new ideas and techniques in the classrooms and having success, it makes them feel motivated to try it themselves. So they, they've seen their peers try new ideas from their from their networks and they think, all right, so they've done it. Their context is similar to mine. I can do it as well. From your experience, John, what are some of the conditions that need to exist in an educational system for teacher networks to work well? I would say support from head teachers and officials is very important. So if teachers are communicating with their, with their peers through uh, networks, if they can't uh, apply what they've learned through through their, their teaching networks in their own classrooms, then they won't be able to make changes to their classroom practice, which could benefit uh, benefit their learners. On a practical level, if heads, head teachers and officials are supportive, that could lead to uh, things like making classrooms available for teachers to come together and meet on a regular basis, providing venues and administrative support. I think that would that would be necessary for for teachers to have to be able to communicate and work together as as a community of practice feeling supported by peers i think is is important as well so teachers need to not be afraid to open up and share with others the the challenges that they are facing in their classrooms so we need a an atmosphere of trust within the teacher network and i also feel that the teachers need to understand what the purpose of the group is like why they're coming together why they're sharing their ideas and experiences what are the benefits for them and what are the benefits for their for their learners okay so my my, my final question for you john is what are some of the key messages from international work or research on teacher networks that it would be useful to draw attention to well i think it would be would be good to help teachers in education systems develop their knowledge of, of what what CPD, what effective CPD is. And it's, it's not, uh, CPD does not only mean attending training courses. There are other ways for teachers to develop. And we know that by teachers collaborating and working together, it can, this can help teachers to make changes to their professional practice. One thing that we've seen from, from research is that if teachers learn a new idea or technique could be through a training workshop or it could be through could be through a, a network some ideas that they've learned through peers through a network once they try this new idea in their classroom it's likely that they'll, they'll find it challenging and they might not be successful the first time they try it they'll need to try the new idea or technique several times i think research says around uh, 20 to 25 times before uh, a new teaching technique is fully integrated into a teacher's repertoire. To be able to get or help teachers to, to do this, they need support from peers over an extended, an extended and ongoing period of time. So encouraging teachers to, 
to work together, to collaborate, to be open and, and, and share their ideas and experiences is an important thing to be aware of. John points out at the end there that the professional development of teachers doesn't just need to be about formal training, that teacher networks can have significant impact too. Now, to get a view from another part of the region, I spoke with a teacher and teacher trainer with many years of experience from Sri Lanka, Kularatne. Kularatne was very clear on the kind of risks there are with setting up teacher networks. Teacher networking, to be very honest, is uh, something new to me. I would say two months ago, the community of practice, that was really interesting. And we understood that sharing experience definitely would improve the quality of teaching. And in fact, we started it initially with much interest. And due to various reasons, it did not run smoothly as we expected. So one of the thing is that some of the teachers in the network are quite busy with their day-to-day schedules. And some, of course, shared their materials and uh, we were expected to go through these materials and then suggest our feedback on the materials sent. It happened nearly two or three weeks and then we could not continue. So why couldn't you continue? What stopped you continuing? So most of the members were teacher educators. They are busy with training the teachers and supporting their, I mean, the pupil teachers, I mean, prospective teachers. And they became, their, the timetable became quite hectic and they could not continue. So it's a question of time, isn't it? You have everything you have to do on a day-to-day basis, plus then this extra activity on top. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Basically, the time and various other constraints. Kularatne's comments are quite powerful, I think, as you really get the sense of the problems of imposition from above. It's clear from John and Sandeep that teacher networks can be successful, can have impact, but Kularatne's points have to be kept in mind. For our final interview in this episode, Simon spoke to Amol Padwad. Amol works at the Centre for English Language Education at Ambedkar University in Delhi, and teacher networking is one of his primary interests. Simon began his interview with Amol by asking about typical characteristics of teacher networks. I would look at teacher networks in a very broad sense. Uh, Teacher networks are small and large. They are more formal or less formal. But what characterizes all of them is the voluntary getting together of teachers in a community spirit. There could be external triggers or Uh, inspirations for getting together, there could be internal inspirations for that. But either way, teacher networks are built on the community spirit, a collective ownership and contribution from all the members. The more formal networks like teacher associations have uh, a better defined structure and leadership and management uh, mechanisms, while much smaller and very informal networks like Uh, WhatsApp groups or small teacher clubs are less structured, may not necessarily have any well-defined organizational structure or agenda or plans. But in different ways, all these networks, small or large, formal or informal, contribute to the professional development, to the professional learning of teachers. 
I noticed that you used the word voluntary in your definition. So if I could just ask you a little bit more about that. Is there, is there any scope for, at least initially, some form of encouragement for teachers to take part in the belief that in time they will see the value and will want to participate uh, on a voluntary basis then? I completely agree with you that some sort of external trigger is often useful. I can give you one concrete example. Uh, when in the state of Maharashtra in India, the teacher training project ended, the Ministry of Education decided to impose, and I'm deliberately using that word, some kind of teacher activity groups on all the participating teachers. It imposed, but at the same time supported those groups. and. Those were tied up with the project. In the view of the government, they had very limited, narrow, specific objectives. But eventually, many of those activity groups started evolving into closer and more vibrant communities. So I did use a term like external inspiration. And in many cases, it works. The tricky balance, I, in my view, is when to stop that imposition and let the network or community uh, stand on its own feet and grow on its own. How do teacher networks differ from uh, more traditional approaches to the professional development of teachers? Teacher network as an approach to in-service teacher education or teacher development is still uh, under-exploited and under-researched area in my view. The typical in-service teacher development programs are usually externally sponsored, externally mandated, externally planned, delivered and monitored. And they often have very short-term specific instrumental goals. Uh, two very common purposes for which in-service developmental programs are organized are for teacher appraisal, uh, for example, leading to their promotions, or some kind of change implementation, for example, introduction of new textbook or new curriculum. Now, in these kinds of typical in-service uh, teacher development programs, teachers have very little scope to uh, get their voices heard. It is often an issue of making those the developmental programs relevant to their own work context. In that sense, teacher networks can be very good way of promoting teacher development. Teacher networks usually have, as I said earlier, an element of volunteerism, but they also bring in a lot of diversity. So teachers with a lot of diverse interests and needs come together in those networks, and they also manage to get their own voices heard. If a state-mandated teacher development or teacher training program collaborates with a network, I think then we can have a win-win situation where the state-mandated program brings in not only support but also recognition, while the teacher network can help the participants make better sense of that training program to relate it to their own work contest and maybe to carry forward the impact of that training after the training is over. So the, the idea that teacher networks give teachers a voice is, is an important characteristic you've emphasized there. Is, is another important characteristic the social dimension, the idea that teachers are learning together and from one another rather just from an external expert? Absolutely. And one of the challenges of the typical externally planned uh, teacher development programs is a risk 
that they bring in what I would call expert culture, where a message is implicitly or explicitly sent across to the participants that they are at the receiving end of some wisdom which is being handed over. So the potential and the advantages of learning from each other is lost in such kind of programs. Teacher networks are an excellent platform to capitalize on the collective knowledge, ideas and wisdom the teacher community has. Okay, now let's focus a bit more specifically perhaps on, on some of the main benefits to teachers of learning in communities or learning in networks. Now, someone we spoke to earlier gave us the example of isolation. He said that teacher networks are a good way of addressing teacher isolation. Are there any other specific benefits from your experience that you can highlight for us? I would talk about this in terms of challenges that teachers typically face, which teacher networks can address very well. Among all several challenges, I would pick up four key challenges, which in my view are priority challenges. One, you already mentioned isolation. Second would be sustaining motivation. Third would be seeking and getting support. And fourth is finding relevance of whatever they do to their own work contests and their own needs. Isolation, in my view, works in several ways. It's not just being alone in the classroom or being alone in developmental journey when the surrounding environment is apathetic. It also works in the sense that there are discouragements, there are unsupportive administrative or uh, authorities or colleagues and all these things in addition to the struggle for the teacher to suggest that her own development also should get some space in the heavy workload and timelines. All these things contribute to a heavy sense of isolation. And in this case, teacher networks provide that support, which is not available in more formal settings like a school and institution. Whether it's a small uh, network like a WhatsApp group or a large network like a teacher association. Teachers feel that they are part of a larger community. This closely ties with the sense of motivation that teachers need to sustain over a long period in their careers. So you've, you've talked about isolation uh, in some detail there and it's clearly an important issue that teacher networks can address. Could you comment perhaps briefly on the other three benefits for teachers that you mentioned? I think teacher networks provide a very strong motivation. They enhance teachers' sense of motivation by celebrating their successes, by supporting them when there are mistakes and failures. And that brings in the second support item as well. Support is one kind that comes from the authorities. But another kind of support, I am referring to affective support, typically comes from networks. Because formal support from schools and administrations and other authorities does not necessarily include the affective element. And together with motivation and support, I also pointed out a very important benefit of teacher networks. Networks help teachers make a sense of what they get trained on, what they are exposed to in uh, developmental programs. To give you one example, often teachers attend a workshop and in the evenings they gather together in their networks and they discuss whatever they have gone through. And that's where more practical and pragmatic issues come up and that's where they try to decode whatever they have learned during the day and try to see how it relates to their own work. Now, thinking particularly about South Asia, what kinds of factors in your opinion might hinder the success 
of teacher networks? One of the topmost factors in my view is a lack of awareness about the existence of teacher networks. The population of teachers and the membership of association are so mismatching. India has a few million English teachers and no National English Teacher Association has more than 5,000 members. Secondly, I also feel that there is a lack of conviction among many member members about the value of joining a network. They often attend isolated events organized by a network, but do not become long-standing members. And thirdly, those who are aware and those who are convinced about the value of joining networks, they are then have to overcome hurdles like distance. Finally, I would also partly blame networks, particularly more formalized larger networks like associations for not being able to reach out and not doing enough meaningful activities to attract teachers to join them. So in order to address some of these uh, challenges to teacher networks then, Amol, what kinds of conditions can educational authorities try to create? One of the key challenges that teacher networks face is lack of support and recognition. When teachers join networks and undertake any activities for their own development, it means their additional investment in terms of time, money and energy. And typically teacher network activities happen outside the school hours and they are not covered by school expenses or by the salaries. In this case, teachers may not necessarily ask for money, but support like recognizing teachers' participation in the networks as a valid component of their professional development is a huge support. Providing time in the teacher's workload, teacher's uh, monthly or yearly timetable for teacher network related activities is another interesting way and useful way of supporting. I mentioned the teacher activity groups which were supported by the government of Maharashtra after a long teacher training project. Now, in this case, the teacher activity groups were officially mandated and people participating in those teacher activity groups were not only supported through resources, training materials, facilitated training, but also through the money for uh, snacks and refreshments, official leave to participate in them, and also online support. They are working really well. And so maybe we can make a link there, Amol, between what we said earlier about teacher networks being voluntary on the one hand, but on the other, the importance of some kind of external structure which can provide the support that teachers need. Maybe that's the kind of balance that works well in South Asian context. Precisely, precisely. Are there any particular recommendations that you would make to educational authorities who are thinking about setting up teacher networks in their contexts? I would like to suggest that teacher networks are embedded in the culture in which teachers live. And so they follow the cultural practices which in general the social culture follows. It would be good for the authorities to take cognizance of the culturally appropriate practices and promote them and not interfere by imposing any external mechanisms, norms or protocols that seem to go against this cultural element. That's the suggestion I would like to make. Would you be able to illustrate that with a, with a concrete example for, for our listeners? One concrete example could be teachers have certain days of the week as important for certain uh, 
festivals and they the festivals may not be very important among the priorities of the state but they would rather miss a teacher network meeting and attend them so what usually happens is teacher networks organize their events and activities taking into consideration these kinds of needs it is found in couple of cases in the teacher activity groups i talked about earlier that the timetable was fixed in advance for the whole year and the authorities were not willing to accommodate these kinds of changes which the teachers demanded because they wanted to do it across the state scale at the same time and so eventually the attendance was very poor and that particular event didn't end up being successful yes thank you that's a clear example so it's what you seem to be saying it's about a sensitivity to established cultural practices and as far as yeah. possible uh, taking those into account when teacher networks are being set up i think that's a very sensible point that was amol padwad speaking to simon and simon's with me now Simon, it seems to me there are a few important points to highlight from our guests' comments in this episode. Firstly, the distinction between more formal types of teacher development, such as training to support the implementation of major change, as Amal said, and more informal teacher networks is quite clear. Also, what's interesting is something that came up in your interview with Amal too, the possibility of an external trigger to kickstart teachers' acceptance and a network's growth, but then avoiding subsequently the kind of external imposition that Kularatna referred to. Yes, it's, it's interesting that while Kularatna highlighted some of the problems typical of imposed networks, he also mentioned the need for some initial guidance. In terms of creating the right conditions, is there then any magic combination in terms of support from above and push from below? So when we think about teacher networks, one important dimension is that of autonomy. How much autonomy are teachers going to have in forming the network? At one extreme, teachers are wholly autonomous. They decide if they want to form a network. They decide how the network's going to be run. They decide what kinds of activities they're going to do. And there are no external forces compelling them to do so. At the other extreme, teacher networks are formed through externally controlled uh, top-down projects run by ministries or other donors and teachers are told that they must take part. And of course different approaches will work more or less effectively in different contexts. I've seen examples of autonomous teacher networks working really well. These tend to be small-scale. For example, they take part in one institution, in one school, and to be formed of a small number of teachers maybe having very similar teaching contexts or even sharing uh, classes. Um, larger teacher networks tend to benefit from some level of external structure. And this external structure is needed to establish purposes, to establish guidelines, to establish processes, timetables and the like. Even within externally supported teacher networks, it's important to ensure that teachers have sufficient space to explore their own interests in ways that they find relevant, in ways that they find meaningful. It's important to ensure that the external forces don't become so powerful that teachers feel they are just going through the motions in a fairly perfunctory or mechanistic way. So that is the challenge, how to achieve that balance between autonomy and external control. Okay, thanks very much, Simon. And as ever, if you'd like to find out more about the theme from this episode, you can, of course, find all the related links on the same page as this recording.
If you'd like to share a comment with us and let us know what you think about what you've heard in this episode, we'd be very happy to hear from you. You can let us know what you think on Facebook or Twitter using the hashtag EducationSouthAsia. That's hashtag EducationSouthAsia. Finally, don't forget, there are lots more episodes to check out in this series too, from inclusive education to English as a medium of instruction. You can find a link to them on the same page as this recording too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Education in Focus South Asia. From Simon and me, goodbye. Goodbye.